You're listening to Sermons at High Peak. Well, welcome to 2020. Anybody see the montage of Barbara Walters saying, and this is 2020. Uh, On New Year's Eve, that was all over the place. Um, This is a wonderful new year, and I want to start with some dad jokes. And remember that dad jokes rhymes with bad jokes for a reason. Uh, But today I've got the best of both worlds. These are biblical dad jokes. Now, how much would you pay? Anyway, uh, which woman had the best business mind in the Bible? Anybody know? Pharaoh's daughter, because she went down to the bank of the Nile and she pulled out a little prophet. Think about it. I didn't say they were funny, uh, but some of you laughed. Thank you. I appreciate your kindness. What kind of man was Boaz before he got married? He was ruthless. Can you name three different automobiles that showed up in the Bible? Well, there was a Honda because the Bible says that the apostles were all in one accord. There was a Plymouth because Yahweh drove Adam and Eve out of the garden in a fury. I know some of the younger folks won't get that one. but uh, And then David's triumph was heard throughout the land. That's a British car in case you didn't know that. Uh, who's the greatest comedian in the Bible? Samson. He brought the house down. <laughs> what excuse did Adam give his children as to why they no longer lived in Eden? Well, your mother ate us out of house and home. Yeah, Reba got that one. What kind of lights did Noah use in building his ark? Floodlights, of course. (laughs) And which of Yahweh's servants was the Bible's most flagrant lawbreaker? Moses, because he broke all ten commandments at once. Some of you maybe understood some of those jokes because you know the Bible. Some of you didn't understand some of those jokes because you didn't get the references. But the sad truth is, some of you maybe didn't get those jokes because you don't know the scriptures well enough. That's okay. No one should look down on themselves. The question now is, what are you going to do with that understanding? If you're a believer, I want you to know that the only reliable place to truly understand God, His character, and what He wants to do in and through and for you is in the Bible. Now, a lot of people talk about a lot of different ways to learn and discover God. They talk about nature and creation. Even the Bible says that's true in Romans chapter 1. They talk about their personal experiences, and, and that is true because the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you and reveals God to you. But it's only the Bible that gives us a truly reliable understanding of God's will. And a problem that we have today is people don't know the Bible. Now, they don't know facts about the Bible. Uh, There are certain times when, uh, you know, you ask for trivia and you don't know the little intricate details of the Bible. I was even challenged on one of those this morning. One of our Sunday school classes asked a question. And I even had to think about the answer for a second. But, you know, the truth is those little facts and details, they're interesting. But those aren't what's going to change your life. It's the teachings of Scripture that will change your life. And too many of us are ignorant of the message 
of the Scripture. You maybe know the gospel. Maybe it was enough to get you into salvation, to get you into a baptistry pool, and to get you into the membership of a church. But since then, you haven't spent an awful lot more time except for maybe listening to a sermon on Sunday mornings. Maybe if you really double your commitment, you're here on Sunday nights. Triple it, and you're here on Wednesday night. Uh, Add another portion, and you're here for a Sunday school class. All of those are wonderful things that you can do to help yourself understand the Bible better. But really, it comes to the point where you study the Bible for yourself to understand it. Too many of us today are violating Scripture, and we don't even know it. I can tell you stories about people who come to me and they say, well, God told me to do so-and-so. And I hear them say that, and I look at their life, and I can see that clearly what they're choosing to do is a direct contradiction of my understanding of God's will and God's word. For example, you make a promise or a commitment to something or to someone, and then you say, but God told me to go do this other thing instead. But don't you know that the Bible teaches God says you make your yes, yes, and your no, no when you make a commitment that you are to follow through on that commitment? And if you don't, you're a liar. And your lack of commitment is an affront to God. Oh, but God told me to go do this. No, he didn't. Or he didn't tell you to do the first thing, one or the other. I remember as a young person, you know, we did the Bible drills. How many of you participated in Bible drills as a young person? Probably people in my generation, maybe a little younger than me and older. The younger kids maybe didn't do it as much. But I remember we learned all these Bible facts. You know, we could recite the books of the Bible in order. There are certain books of the Bible when uh, I'm listening to someone teach or preach and they say, go to Obadiah. I still have to kind of go through the song a little bit, you know, in order to remember exactly what part of the Old Testament that's in. But, but still, I got that knowledge and that information and that's useful. I was taught things like, you know, the book of uh, Matthew has 28 chapters and John's got 21 and Mark has 16 and Luke's got 24. But, you know, none of that's going to change my life. But studying the message of Scripture will. And so as we begin a new year, I want us to think about this. We need to study God's Word. Study the Bible in order to learn God's will through God's Word. That's what I want us to think about that today. You know, that's only possible if you make a commitment to read the Bible. You have to actually read the Bible in order to study the Bible. You can't know God's will unless you read it. It's just not going to happen. You say, well, you know, I don't, I listen to other people talk about it. You can learn a little bit, but you can't really learn it until you open up a Bible and start reading it for yourself. But you also can't do it by yourself because there's too much of the Bible that, that you and I, we have limited understanding and we need the experience and the knowledge of other people to collect with our knowledge and experience and put those together and we're more likely to get a more comprehensive understanding of God's will in our life. And so study the Bible with other people. Commit to be a part of a Sunday school class. Make that a promise. Say, Lord, I want to show you that I love you by joining a Sunday school class. If you're not in a Sunday school class, it doesn't mean you don't love God. It just means you're giving up an opportunity to learn about him and his will in your life from people who work to try to teach you what he wants you to understand. Make that a commitment. You know, we study together the Bible on Sunday nights and on Wednesday nights. I'm getting ready to start us going through what's called the winter Bible study. And we'll be talking about that more later on. 
And we're going to do that on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights through January and into February. Make a commitment and say, I want to be a part of that so I can learn better what God has to teach me about how to live my life. And so study the Bible, and that's how you can learn the Bible with other people. So you do it by yourself, and you do it collectively with others. Will you make that a promise this new year? I'm not really into New Year's resolutions, but make a commitment to the Lord. Say, I am going to be a person of the word by reading it on my own and studying it with other people in this coming year. I want to learn things like how to commit my life to Christ, how to live, how to have good biblical finances, how to treat my family. I want to learn how I should act when I go to work or to school, how I should treat that guy who just cut me off on the highway. All of those things, those practical things of our everyday life are in the Bible. Make a promise that you will learn God's word and learn God's will, rather, through God's word. And I remember just this week I was typing out the phrase, reading God's word. And I accidentally put it as reading, you know, with this crazy autocorrect that you have. And so I typed out in mine, reading God's word. It's up there. Show it. Just a second. He'll put it up there and you'll see it. Autocorrect, reading God's word. But then my autocorrect changed it from reading God's word to rating God's word. And I thought about that for a second. I said, that's not that terrible an autocorrect. Sure, it's not exactly what I meant to type. I meant to type reading, and I left off the G, and it corrected it to rating. But isn't that what we're all about in studying the Word of God? We're supposed to study it, rating God's Word. You know, we might have funny autocorrects and silly things, but uh, I, I, as a Packer fan... I'll go on Twitter and I'll follow different people on Twitter. And one of the people that I follow on Twitter, I don't really know much about this person's spiritual life, but a few days ago typed this and posted on Twitter, I want to be closer to God in 2020. And I had never ever seen anything like that from this person. In fact, I had seen other things that seemed to be very opposite of that. And I was pretty interested. And so I responded to the person because we often interact and this person said this and I said you know as a pastor my experience has been that the best way to do that is to read God's word and to study God's word and so get into the word and that's your best way and I said you know what you should do start by reading one of the simple books of the Bible like the book of John it's filled with great stories about who Jesus is and I think that's the best way to get started. If you've not been reading the Bible for a long period of time, that's a great place to start. But you know, my solution of reading God's Word to get to know God better is something that the Bible itself even teaches us. It teaches us about the power of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. I'll be reading from the New King James, verse 12, and then later on we'll look at verse 13 of this passage. It 
But it says, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, we're going to focus mainly on the first half of that verse because it says three things about God's word. The first one is that the word of God is living. Living. What does that mean? What does it mean to say the word of God is living? I think it means it it has the ideas of life, of eternal life. You can read the Bible and learn how to have eternal life. You can also understand how to live your life. The Bible has uh, the power of life change. You can read the Bible, and if you put it into your heart and in your mind and apply it, it can change your life, change your behavior, how you treat one another, how you react when other people treat you a certain way. But you know, it's not like other books, is it? A lot of people try to make it seem like it is. Instead, the Bible has an incredibly strong impact, stronger than any other book of the world, uh, that exists. You know, there are a lot of people, and in fact, I remember once being tra- taught by someone who didn't believe the way I do about the Bible, that, that the Bible is a, a, a book of art and literature just like others. Shakespeare and some modern author who might write with an incredible skill and understanding of the human condition, that they're all inspired on the same level by God. Yeah, there's nothing further from the truth. That's wrong. No, the Bible is unique and different in all of literature. It means that that it has a living impact. Now, some of these same people who believe this will say that, that the Bible is living, and that means that it changes from generation to generation, that you can understand it differently the way you live your life today, differently than the way people lived 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago or when it was first written. I hope that as I say that, you're in your mind thinking, that doesn't sound right. No, it doesn't sound right because it's absolutely wrong. The Bible is a record of God who is immutable. That word means he's not changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And his word is meant to be a message that was written to a group of people. And while the applications might be slightly different, but the message itself does not change. It is always the same. And the Holy Spirit takes the meaning of the Bible and implants it in your heart. And therefore, it is living. But you know what else this verse says? It is powerful. Has the idea of activity at work in that word. Powerful. Uh, We describe our workplaces like this. Uh, You know, work is, is something that we can think of in three different ways. Okay, Number one, you go to work. Some of you will go to work tomorrow, or maybe you'll go back to work for the first time in a while tomorrow. Uh, My wife, for example, works at a school. That's her work. She goes to work at a school. Some of you might have other workplaces that you go to, you know, a factory or a restaurant or a store or an office. That's a place that you go to. But, you know, we also think about work as who we are. I'm a preacher. That's my work. My wife is a teacher. That's her work. You could be a truck driver, a mail delivery person. You can, uh, you know, uh, be uh, somebody who, who serves hamburgers. It doesn't matter what it is. That's your work. So it's a place you go and it's a person you are. But work is also thought of as in what you do. My wife teaches. I 
preach and sometimes counsel and teach. You might clean or you might garden. Those are work things that you do. And when you think of the Bible as powerful, that word for powerful means that it's actively working in your life. And I think of it more in that third way. It's the thing that it does. It's not the place it goes or the people that it is, because the Bible isn't those things. It's the work that it does. What is the work that the Bible does in your life? The Bible does a lot of work. It can change lives. It can change hearts. It can change minds. That's because it is both living and powerful at the same time. Now, the third thing it says about it is that the Bible is sharper. Sharper than what? Well, than any two-edged sword. What in the world does that mean, a two-edged sword? And this is a term in the Bible that really is talking about something that they would use. It was probably more like a, a dagger than a sword today. And when you think of a dagger, you think of sort of like a sharp, a sharp but shorter piece of fighting equipment. <laughs> and a, a good soldier in that day would always carry both. He'd have a dagger and he would have a sword. It says that, you know, when they came to get Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, uh, the disciples were there and they pulled out, Peter pulled out a sword and cut the Roman centurion's ear off, or the guard's ear off, rather. That was a dagger that he probably had with him at that moment. And daggers are tools for hurting people. A soldier would use, you know, to defend himself or to attack. A soldier was also like a tool. They would kind of use it sort of like we use pocket knives. How many of you carry around a, a pocket knife today? You know, that's sort of like your modern day dagger. And it also might have a corkscrew and, you know, a bottle opener and all other kinds of stuff. Well, they'd use that one piece for all of those things. And the third thing, it was a precision cutting instrument. They would use it to cut. They would make it as sharp as they could get it. It was kind of a, a, an object of pride to say that your dagger was as sharp as it could be. They would use it, forge it with the hardest metal so it would keep its edge longer than anything else. And so when you think about it, that's the way that this passage is using it. Hebrews 4.12 is using it in that third way. It's like a, like a surgeon's scalpel like a precision cutting instrument, like a, a baker, or not a baker, but a chef who might carve up a, an animal. And he wants to get the, uh, the flesh off the bones. Well, he says this thing is so sharp that it'll even cut through the bone. It gets to the deepest part of who you are as a person and what you're thinking. Now, I, I like a, a paraphrase called the message. And the message, it's not one that you're, supposed to use for detailed Bible study. Instead, after you've been studying the Bible, you can pull out the message and see what it interprets. So it's not a, a great Bible study tool, but it is a good Bible reading tool. And the message says, Hebrews 4.12, this way, His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything without doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Yeah, that's not translating what the original author of Hebrews, who I believe is Luke, uh, that's not what, translating what the original author of Hebrews said, but it is interpreting it, what it means to us. And that's the message of this verse. Like a surgeon who's cutting through even bone. That edge is so sharp that it could do that. You know, most knives aren't that sharp. But the word of God is. 
What does that mean? It can get into your inner life. It can get into your inner being. And it changes you and affects you. As you read it and understand it, it'll reveal to you the deepest thoughts and attitudes of your life. Have you ever had this experience where you're sitting there reading the Bible? Maybe it's on your own in a devotional time or in a Sunday school class or in a a time when a preacher is preaching. And as you're reading it, you sort of feel like, whoa, this applies to me. In fact, it almost feels like the teacher or the preacher picked this just for me today. Because I'm guilty of these sins. Or I have these incorrect attitudes. Uh, This applies to my life. I just went through this this week. The Bible has that kind of power. It's living and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It gets deep into your minds. You know, uh, we talked about that I was taught a long time ago that, you know, the book is like other literature and it's not. But you think about that. You know, books and things like that, writing, it, it can have an impact on people, can't it? You know, books, just average ordinary books. You read a book and it might change you in some way. Maybe you're reading a how-to book. You know, how to fix a car or uh, how to be a good parent or something like that. And so it can have that impact on you. You might read the newspaper and you see a news article about some crooked politician that you had planned to vote for. And now you think, I'm not voting. So it changed you. It changed who you'd vote for. Or maybe in the newspaper there's an article. They're going to be working on highway whatever, 70 or 40 next week. And so you say, well, I'm going to avoid that when I go to work next week. You know, it'll change you. So yeah, all writings can change you. But the Bible is different because the Bible itself describes itself in Timothy. It says it's God-breathed. What does that mean? Think about all the way back to the beginning of time when Adam and Eve were created. How were they created? God formed Adam with his own hands and then he, it says, breathed life into him. And so the Bible in Hebrews 4.12 is, or in in 2 Timothy, it's saying that the Bible is God-breathed. It's saying that God has put life and power into the Word. And so unlike books or newspapers, it's different because it changes your very existence. You can go from being unsaved to saved by reading the Bible. Just ask the Gideons. They have all kinds of stories. Hundreds of stories about how people have read the Bible in hotel rooms or in jail cells or on their way to a battlefield. And after reading the Bible, they've gotten saved. The Bible has that kind of power. It's power for salvation. People getting saved by reading the Bible. It also has power for growth. The Bible can help you to grow in your Christian life. How many of you say, you know, I just feel so stagnant in my Christian life, in my relationship with Jesus. It's like I got saved You know, maybe you grew for a while, but now there's nothing happening. And you just feel sort of cold and aloof and it doesn't matter. And it's, you know, you still come to church out of habit, but it's nothing exciting or interesting anymore. Maybe you need to get back in the Bible, in the Word of God, on a regular daily basis, by yourself and with other people. And really pour into what it says and it will pour into you. It's the power of growth. Psalm 119.11 talks about that. It says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I want you to know this. Sin is a terrible thing, isn't it? Just think about the sins that people have committed that have hurt you. 
Wouldn't it be great if they had read the Bible and it had changed their heart and they chose not to sin in that way against you? Now, flip it. What have you done to hurt other people? The Bible can change your life so you're not that way. You don't do that. But there's one other thing the Bible has the power to do, and that is it pulls back the veil of heaven. What do I mean by that? Well, you can imagine heaven is sort of like the Wizard of Oz. How many of you love the story of the Wizard of Oz? You know, it's one of those great stories, an old movie, or sometimes they've made it into a musical. And in that story, you know, you've got Dorothy and the Scarecrow and the Tin Man and the Cowardly Lion. She's on her way to see the wizard of a land called Oz. She's sort of miraculously taken from Kansas and put into this magical land where there are witches and there's all kinds of other strange things and She's afraid and she's scared. And she's told that if you go see the wizard, maybe he can help you out. Because the Wizard of Oz is an all-powerful being. So she, on her way, collects some friends. There's the scarecrow. What's the scarecrow want? If I only had a brain, right? Uh, And then you've got the tin man. What's he looking for? He wants a heart. And then there's the cowardly lion. What's he looking for? Well, his very name tells you he wants courage. And along the way, the story says, you know, they were kind of forced into situations where they experienced things that they kind of gained those capabilities. Well, they arrived to see the wizard. And, all right, I'm sorry, if you haven't seen the end of The Wizard of Oz, spoiler coming. You know, it's been, I don't know what, like 60 years? So I think you had plenty of time now. Spoiler alert, they meet the wizard. And they pull back the curtain. And what do they find? He's just a guy. That he's nothing. That his whole existence has been a mirage. It's been a deception, smoke and mirrors, so to speak. And what they find is, when they learn more about the person, the wizard, that he's nothing special, nothing important. Now, here's the horror of this movie. I'm about to ruin it for all of you. Here's the horror of this movie. It was intended to be a humanistic plea to understand that you don't need a higher power you have that power within you. I know some of you are about to be mad and throw things at me because you love that story, but that's actually the original intended meaning. You don't need God because you can be all these things all on your own, just by your own existence. Well, the Bible teaches us exactly the opposite, and I think you know the truth. I think you know you need a God. You need someone who can work in your life and bring you through. After all, why is it? Even these people who say we don't need God, when they get in a bind, what do they do? They often, belying their own inner ideas and understanding of God, they start to pray. God, if you're up there, will you help me? You see, there's no such thing as, as they say, an atheist in a foxhole. I don't know if that's true 100% of the time, but most of the time it is. When you and I get in trouble, we reach out. And sometimes there's only one person that's there to help us, and that's God. And you know what? The Bible teaches us what we want to know and what he wants us to know about him. I liked this description I once heard. The Bible is the written record of God's self-revelation to humanity. God inspired it in us, and people wrote it down. It's what God revealed to human beings. And the pictures of God that we see, he's the all-powerful creator of the universe. But you know what else he is? Unfortunately, he's a vengeful punisher of sins. But 
In spite of that, he's also a compassionate, gracious God who forgives anyone who's willing to repent of their sins. And he's that loving friend who's by your side no matter what you face in this world. Hebrew 4.12 that we've been looking at talks about what the Word of God is. But look at verse 13. It says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. You see, God lets us see him through the Word of God. And when we see him, we see that he sees us. Sees everything about you. You know, we've just come through the Christmas time. It reminds me of that Santa Claus song, you know. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. And God sees all. He knows all. And so don't try to hide from him. He understands who you are and what you are. And you can use what you learn from the word of God to make that a lot more pleasing to God. He will be more appreciative of who you are and he'll reward you more for what you are when you let the Bible change your life. The more you know of God, the more you will love him and the more you will want to live your life for him. And so understand this, God is a lot of things to us. So in this new year, I want to ask you to make a a commitment to God. Say, you know what? I'm going to be in the Bible. I'm going to read God's word. And I want to give you a few ways, some practical things you can do to read the Word of God. Ways to read the Word of God. Number one, it's obvious. Get a copy and open it and start reading it. That sounds simple, doesn't it? And so, since it's so simple, let's make it even simpler. Don't start in the book of Genesis. If you've not been reading the Bible, don't start there. Not that there's nothing, anything wrong with Genesis. It's full of wonderful truths. But a new Bible reader will get bogged down eventually in the beginnings. And so I say start by reading more towards the last third, the New Testament. The book of John is the perfect place to begin. Just open it up and start reading it. You might want to, if you've been a Bible reader for a while, choose to, a, a reading plan, a systematic reading plan of God's Word. You know, they have them where you can read through the Bible in a certain period of time, a year or two years or six months. I even saw one as I was looking at this last week. You can read the Bible through in five days. Whew, I don't know if I could do that. But you could. It had a plan for how to do it. It was a lot of reading. You know, there's also devotional books. Maybe it's good to get started. Now, if you've been a Christian for 25 years and you've been reading the Bible and all of your Bible reading has been that one little verse at the beginning of the devotional book, it might be time to move on, to graduate to something a little more in-depth. But there's nothing wrong with using a good devotional book to get started. The fourth thing is pick of the book of the Bible, like I just said, maybe the book of John and get started there. Or the book of Proverbs and get started there. Proverbs is a great beginning because it's very practical. You know, you can also get one of these one-year Bibles. If you go down to the bookstore or go online, you can find one. It's called a one-year Bible. And it's all, it's a Bible. It has all the readings laid out in a one-year format with dates. You can use your Sunday school lesson. I believe the Sunday school lesson still has Bible reading in it. So go ahead and use that as your Bible reading plan. You say, well, I don't really read a lot. But I'll listen. It's okay. Listen to the Bible. Get the Bible on CDs, or even better yet, grab your cell phone and download a book, a Bible called uh, 
uh, and I've just lost the name of it. Uh, it it's called, um, and it's gone, and I don't have it written down here. Uh, faith comes by hearing. Search for faith comes by hearing. And you'll be able to listen to the Bible with a lot of these different kinds of reading plans. So that's an audio Bible. You can even get text messages. Maybe you're just one of these crazy wild texters. Go to freescripturetext.com and they'll send you a verse a day. That's a good way to get started. Get a Bible app. I love Bible apps. It's what I use. I can keep notes. I can search for stuff. I can look up words. You know, we use a software presentation program called Proclaim from a company called Faith Life. If you just look up Logos Bible, L-O-G-O-S Bible, you'll find it. And when you're here on Sunday mornings, you can even follow along the Bible reading in that. Whatever you do, however you do it, whatever process or, or plan or anything, make a plan, make a commitment, and follow through and begin to read and also study the Bible. Because you can learn God's will through God's Word. It's the most dependable, reliable way, and it'll change your life. Thank you so much for listening to our sermons from High Peak. I'm Dr. Kevin Purcell, the pastor of High Peak Baptist Church. And if God has really spoken to you through this message, please get in touch with me. You can go over to highpeakchurch.com and look for a way to contact us. Or if you want, you can come directly to me at pastor at highpeakchurch.com. We're also on Facebook, searching for High Peak Church. We'd love to see you. We have our services every Sunday morning at 11 a.m., Sunday evening at 6 p.m. in our fellowship hall, and then also midweek service on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Please come and join us. We've got classes for all ages. God bless you, and thanks for listening.